All right, let's read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 again together, and we're going to focus in tonight on Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We'll read verse 1 by way for uh, just remembering where we've been, so a reminder of where we've been, okay? So verse 1, I encourage you therefore, brothers, because of the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual or your reasonable service. So let's stop right there real quick and let's just rewind to what we've covered so far. Remember the first time we met together under this topic, Abide, we, we talked about the mercies of God and how amazing it is that God has displayed His mercies and poured out His mercies on us in Jesus Christ. So in view of the mercies of God, because of the mercy of God, this is what is um, our reasonable reaction to that. In other words, the only thing that makes sense in view of what God has done is to give our lives, this is part two, a sacrifice completely to Him, laying our entire lives, everything, everything we hope, every dream we have, every aspiration we have, laying it on the altar before God and saying, I am giving my life, everything I am, everything I hope to be, to you in view of your mercies, rescuing me from my sin. And so that's part one and part two. We see the mercies of God. The only thing that makes sense in view of the mercies of God is that I give my life to him as a sacrifice. I say all that I am now belongs to you. You do with me what you will. Because nothing else makes sense when I see all that you've done for me in Christ. Now, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might prove what is the will of God, the good, the pleasing, and the complete or the perfect will of God. So in view of the mercies of God, the only thing that makes sense for us is to give ourselves to Christ as a sacrifice. Give ourselves to Him. And then He says, okay, if you put your life on the altar and view what I've done for you as your worship of me, the only thing that makes sense, then this is what I want to tell you to do. First thing you do when you're on that altar, giving your life to me, you better make sure that you're not conformed to this age. Step number one, if you're on my altar, in view of my mercy, do not be conformed to this world. A couple weeks ago, I was at the orthodontist with Caden. Um, he's getting his braces checked, and so I'm sitting in the parent chair. You know, the chair you sit there and you get to watch your kid get tortured in the, in the orthodontist office. It's a lot of fun. Well, this day, I got to see somebody else's kid get tortured too. And I tried not to laugh because it was sad, but it was funny too. But if you're going to get braces, there's one thing you've got to do that is like the torture of all tortures. What is it? The mold. Yeah, everybody knows it's had braces. You have to get this pink goo substance put in this plastic mold-shaped deal. It's shaped kind of like your mouth, and they shove that into your mouth, and it goes into the back of your throat, and you think you are going to die. And the, the, the people helping out will say to you things like, just breathe. You, you really can breathe. It'll be all right. And kids' eyes are bugging out. And, they're, and so this little girl, you know, this, this girl is getting the mold this day. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be fun. And so I'm not watching Caden at all. I'm watching this girl get the mold. 
And so they put it in, and the mother put it in, they shove it back in there. The nurse starts talking like, it's going to be okay, this real sweet voice. And then she just starts just gagging, you know. I'm like, oh, I'm going to see somebody puke with the mold. This is going to be awesome. And it was, it was just so sad. I, I mean, I cried for her, you know. And so it's a rough moment. She's getting this. She's being tortured. But here's the thing. You can't get braces if you don't get the mold. There's no way you're going to get braces if you don't go through that torture, right? It's a necessary evil to get the benefit of braces. Now, now think about it like this. If the world wants to conform us to itself, to a replica of the world, the world wants to pour us into its mold so that we look like the world. So here's what the world does. The world says things to us like this. If you want to be happy, if you want to have a life full of all the things you would enjoy, if you want to have romance, if you want to have a real sense of fun in this world, if you want everything that life wants and can offer, so the world is enticing you to enter into its mold so it can shape you into a replica of the world and it uses lies and deceptions telling you you can't get this good thing unless you get into the world. And what this scripture is telling us, if you are on the altar because you see the mercies of God, what you must not let happen in your life is a confirmation to this age. You cannot let the world entice you to become like the world. Now, the difficulty with following this command is that being conformed to the world often happens very slowly. Just bit by bit, step by. Step so slowly at times that you may not even recognize that it's happening in any one given moment of time. The world is enticing you and promising things to you to conform it, conform you to a replica of the world. At the same time, the world is enticing. You know what's happening to us who have put our lives on an altar in view of the mercy of God. You know what's happening to us a lot of times. What we talked about on Sunday. Remember what I talked about is when you decide that you want to follow Christ, you are sealed by the living God, and that seal makes you a target. So as you try to put your life on the altar in view of the mercies, is your life going to be automatically easier on this earth because you laid your life on the altar of Christ in view of his mercies? Or is your life likely to be more difficult? It's likely to be more difficult. That's what the Bible tells us. And so we've got a situation on our hands where we've laid our lives on the altar and things don't go like we thought they would because we have an impression of what it means to follow Christ and everything gets wonderful. But the reality is we find the wonder of God in whatever happens in our life because of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to rescue us from our sin. And we want to lay ourselves on the altar no matter what. But we get on the altar and things don't always go like we think they should and then the world's calling out to us, I have something better for you. And so we're being enticed into the mold of the world by the difficulty of following Christ. And Jesus says, do not be conformed to this world. I've seen it happen so many times through the years. My earliest recollection on a personal level of seeing it happen where small step by small step, someone's conformed to this world is with my mom. 
You think about what, is it, what does it really look like to be conformed to this age? What does that mean? Well, if we look in Romans, in chapter 1, we can see in, by the end of chapter 1, verse 32, there's a description of people who have rejected the truth of God. And it says that they are wholeheartedly jumping into a complete disregard of God and celebrating everybody who joins them with a t- complete disregard for God. What is this age really after? This age is about getting us to the point we have a complete and total disregard for God and celebrate those who do the same. That's the goal. But that's so abrupt. That's so stark a contrast to who we want to be. The world can't get us there like this. It's got to be a slow process. And I've seen it with men in our church through the years. I've seen it with some of my very close friends over the years. They just take one small step towards this age, maybe because of something they don't like in their life as they're trying to follow Christ, and they think something is being promised to them does not involve following Christ, and they go try it a little bit, and it does add some benefit and some joy to their life temporarily, and so they're enticed to go further into the world's mold. And they're taking steps away from the Lord and taking steps towards the world, but they're so small and gradual that we're just watching it happen and we don't even know what we're seeing. And the next thing we know, this person goes public with a complete disregard for God and we're sitting there wondering, what in the world happened? How did this person go from being someone who cared about Christ to someone who walks away from Christ as a total and complete disregard for God? Well, they didn't just wake up one day and do it. They were taking small steps all along, so small that many of us could not even see it. And then they woke up and said, I want nothing else to do with God. I've been shaped into the mold of this world. And the Lord's telling us, do not let that happen to you. If you put your life on the altar before me because you've seen my mercies, then do not think for one second the world still does not want you. You must fight and do everything you can to keep from being conformed to this age, to where you have a total and complete disregard for God and who He is. You know, there's some things that you can think about in your life right now where you are. And begin to evaluate, you know, where am I really when it comes to being lured into the mold of this world? Have I been shaped to look more like the world than I should be right now? What's going on? Well, there's, some, there's some, just some evaluation questions you could ask yourself from a biblical perspective, from the perspective of Romans, that you could say, is this happening in me? You know, one of the first ones that you could consider is how seriously do you take your sin? I mean, are you really worried about just the big sins that if everybody knew you were doing, it would be a really big problem? Or are you so concerned about sin that even the smallest of offenses before God causes you to run to Him in brokenness and repentance? Are you at a place where you are really calling things that are evil good? Have you begun to call things that are good evil? Have you drifted away in in your perspective towards sin that you have minimized the mercies of God because you've minimized your perspective of your own sin? How do you act about the things that if you told somebody, they'd say, oh, that's not that big a deal. Don't worry about that. That'll be okay. 
Or you look in and get us, no, this is a small step in the wrong direction. And if I'm not careful, the world will suck me in. And I will one day wake up and say, I don't even care about God. No, I want to take sin seriously. And every little thing the Holy Spirit convicts me of, every little thing that I am given eyes to see, I want to take so seriously that I'm bringing before Christ and saying, you have my life. And if it's offense to you, it needs to be equally an offense to me. It doesn't matter what others say about this sin that I think I need to get out of my life. It doesn't matter what the world thinks. It doesn't matter if people think I'm too crazy or too radical. If the Lord is convicting you of sin, you need to treat it like the Lord sees it. And he sees every one of our sins as a reason to put Jesus on the cross. How seriously are you taking every sin in your life? The world wants you to blow it off. But Jesus wants to free you of it. What about this? Have you struggled with bitterness in your life? Do you find yourself thinking, it's not fair? Why is it so hard? Why is this happening to me? This is not what I thought would happen at this time in my life. Are you reverting to thinking that you're actually wiser than God when it comes to your circumstances? Are you angry? You know, in Romans chapter 3, it talks about bitterness is one of the things that's exhibited in someone's heart who is bent away from God. If you're going to be conformed to this age, one of the things that's going to come out is a discontent with God. And you're going to blame your circumstances. If things weren't like this, I would be much better off. No, God is sufficient in all circumstances. What about this one? Are you cultivating a a relationship with the Lord? Do you find yourself cultivating a walk with the Lord, nurturing and cultivating a relationship with the Lord in your life? Is that what you see going on in you? Or do you see in you a growing disinterest in spending time reading your Bible, praying, sharing the gospel with those around you? If you want to know what this age looks like, this age looks like a complete disinterest in God. What's happening in your walk with the Lord is Is there a growing disinterest or a deeping sense of cultivating a walk with Christ? You can think about it like this. What's happening in the darkness when the lights are off and no one can see? What are you thinking about? What are you imagining? What are you hoping for the future? What are you wishing was different? Is your mind drifting towards Christ and his glory right where you are? Or is your mind drifting away from Christ into securing the lust of the flesh? See, this age wants to conform us and he does it so slowly that if we don't take stock regularly of what's really happening in us, we're in danger. And what we need to make sure we're doing is moving in the direction 
of being transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's the first command. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen to what God has done. He's taken us by his mercies, and he has renewed a mind in us that was previously depraved and worthless. Romans chapter 1 says they suppressed the truth and God gave him over to an unhealthy mind so that their minds became completely depraved and worthless, bent on nothing but a total disregard of God. Jesus took people like that, us, lost. And by his mercies, he renewed our minds As we laid ourselves on his altar, trusting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he changed our minds and he gave us, in the place of a broken and depraved and worthless mind, the mind of Christ. You know what happens when we receive the mind of Christ? We begin to see who Christ is in the Word of God, just like the video talked about earlier. We begin to see the person of Christ. What I love about our study through Revelation is that we've been seeing Jesus again and again and again as He wants us to see Him. The only people that see Christ and benefit from who He is are the people who have a renewed mind because they've laid their lives on the altar in view of God's mercies and God has transformed their minds so that they now can know and understand and walk with Jesus. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed. Keep on being transformed. The emphasis here is on the continual nature of the need for transformation. Yes, we've been saved. We've been redeemed. But redemption is not a complete process the moment we come to Christ because we've been so conformed to the world's ways and now we're rescued by Christ. We have got to, in this life, walk in transformation continually as a journey, having our renewed minds now illuminated to the person of Christ, working out in us the righteousness of Christ. So what happens when I lay myself on the altar and I accept Christ as my Lord and Savior in view of his mercies? I am given the righteousness of Christ, but the righteousness of Christ is not working itself out in my life automatically, is it? But I have a mind now that can partner with the Spirit of Christ and see an increasing working out of Christ's righteousness in my life. That's transformation. It's a journey. It's a journey you're to continue for the rest of your life to become more and more like Christ because your mind is tuned to who he is because by his mercy he rescued you from the depravity of your sin. It's a journey. I love that concept of journey. I don't know if you've ever tried to learn another language, but I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't think of that as a journey, you're going to be in for a world of hurt. You go in for your first language lesson if you're learning another language and you're told some things about that language, I can promise you this, you don't walk out of your first lesson about another language thinking I've now conquered the lesson. You know how you walk out of that? You walk out of thinking, what have I done? This is the craziest harebrained idea I've ever had and I'm never gonna be able to master this language. Never. That's how you walk out of the first lesson. You know how you walk out of the second lesson? This is the craziest harebrained idea I've ever had. I cannot believe I've done this. This is the stupidest expenditure of my time I've ever made. You know what happens when you walk out of your 500th lesson? 
It's different. Because it's not about a one moment experience, it's about a journey. I'll never forget when I first tried to start speaking in Chinese to another Chinese person. Um, I was trying to say something about how they looked and say, you know, give a compliment, and I actually found out I said that they were very dirty. <laughs> it's not a very good moment. I told somebody one time, I'm going to go to the restroom, and what I actually said to them is, I'm going to go to toilet paper. <laughs> I mean, when you first start using a foreign language and you're learning, you know what's going to happen? A lot of failures, a ton of failures, a lot of setbacks. Things are going to embarrass you and make you feel ashamed. But you know what? If you're on a journey, you know what you keep doing? You keep learning, and you keep trying, and you keep saying things. And you keep getting funny looks like, what? What are you saying? I can't understand a word. Are you speaking Chinese? Because it sounds like Chinglish. I mean, that's weird. Um, you know, and so, and so it's just a, it's, it's, it's a journey. And your spiritual life is like that. When you first come to Christ, guess what? Your first attempt at following Christ is probably something that could be embarrassing. It may not sound right. It may not look right. But you know what? It's a journey. And instead of looking at everything you're doing that doesn't measure up to the end goal, fluency, look at everything you're doing not as failure, but as steps forward. The key is that you understand transformation is something that needs to continue to happen every single day for the rest of your life. Fluency comes when Christ comes back. Until then, you're still a language student. And it's hard work. And it's a journey. And it's a journey we need to embrace. If we will embrace the journey of transformation, we will push against being conformed to this world. This verse here promises one of the greatest blessings I think exists in all of Scripture right here. I want you to look, at me, look with me at this end of this verse again in chapter, two, uh, chapter 12, verse 2. It says, But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, for the purpose that, or so that, you can test or prove or approve the will of God. The good, the pleasing, and the complete or the perfect will of God. At first reading, I think it's easy to assume that what the Lord is teaching us here is that if we put ourselves on the altar and we push against being conformed to the world, and we strive to continue to put ourselves on the altar every single day of our lives for transformation. I'm just going to keep putting my life on the altar, keep putting it on the altar. Whatever you want to do with me, Lord, it's yours. I'm yours because I see your mercies. That's transformation. Transformation's happening. Sometimes I think the conclusion is here, if we keep doing that, that we'll know God's will. But I want you to see the meaning here of this particular word that Paul chooses to describe what happens if you keep putting your life on his altar. You keep striving towards being transformed. You keep pushing away from being conformed. And he uses this word that's translated test or prove. The idea here is that you have the capacity, if you can do this word, you have the capacity to determine whether or not something is right and on the basis of it being right, then you can approve its rightness. 
so that you prefer it over anything else. That's what Paul is telling us. That's what the Lord wants us to hear. If you will see my mercies and lay your life on the altar as a sacrifice to me because that's the only thing that makes sense and push against being conformed to this world and instead be transformed into who I've made you to be by continuing just to lay your life on the altar again and again, I have a great gift for you. You will see my will for your life and you will be able to determine the rightness of my will for your life and it will become your preference over every other option. Imagine that. Is that not an incredible gift from the Lord? Years ago when I moved here to Abilene, I, I, I drove a gray truck. I doubt anybody in here remembers this. It was the biggest piece of junk you've ever seen in your life. Far worse than my maroon truck. All right? So I, I drove this gray truck. as a piece of junk. I got here. I drove it for a while. And uh, then I happened to work out a family deal and got the maroon truck. And so I needed to sell the, the gray truck. And so I, I put a price tag on it that I felt represent what it would bring in a scrap deal, you know. And so um, I was going to charge $1,200 for the gray truck. So I advertised it, and I had several calls, and I was really surprised that there's a market for $1,200 pieces of junk trucks. There were people that are interested in this thing. So this guy shows up at my house. And he wants to look at the truck, and he sees a truck, and he says, he's not really that impressed with it because it's not an impressive truck. And uh, I don't know what he's expecting for $1,200, but it wasn't as much as what he'd hoped, and he wasn't acting like it was all that impressive. And I said, well, why don't you go out, and we can sit in it. You know, we can drive it around the block or whatever. You can take it for a spin. Let's just go out and take a look. Sit in it. Just check it out. Okay, let's go out and take a look. So go out. I get him to sit in there, and I turn the, 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 car, the truck on, and I go, you like radios? He's like, yeah, I like radios. And I said, watch this. Now, I, here's the deal. The truck was a piece of junk. My, radio, my stereo system was awesome. I mean, it was awesome. It had subwoofers and an amp. And I mean, it would bump and thump. You could hear me from blocks away. It was incredible. Um, and so I said, you want to hear the radio? He's like, yeah, I want to hear the radio. I turned it on, got this thumping music on there. And he's like, oh, yeah. He's like screaming out, you know. And I was like, won't you take it for a spin? He's like, I'm going to take it for a spin. You know, he's got it cranked up, and I can hear him going down the block, and he comes back, and I had asked 1,200, okay? Keep that in mind. So he gets out, he comes to the door, and he says, man, I only brought 1,000 with me, but if you'll let me have it for that 1,000, I'll bring you 200 tomorrow. I was like, you got a deal, man. So the guy only brought 1,000, because I'm sure he's thinking, if I bring 1,000 and offer that, maybe I can get him down. Once he got out of the truck with the radio, he's like, I don't care what it takes, I want that truck. Now, here's the great thing about this story. The guy did not prefer the truck until he got in the truck and turned on the radio. The second he heard the thumping of that bass, he's like, $1,200 is a bargain. I now prefer this truck. Get the picture? You lay your life on the altar before Jesus Christ and his mercies again and again and again. And you will be getting into the vehicle of God's will for your life. And he will turn on the music of his goodness. And you will say to yourself, this plan, this place, this life, this circumstance, this brokenness, this hardness, this terrible situation, this is my preference because of you and your mercy. And I see its rightness and I embrace its rightness. 
What is it like when we're a people of God that says, God is so good that you can place me in any vehicle and I will embrace the vehicle as the avenue through which I can know Christ. That's the gift. And let me tell you, that is a gift we need in this world. Because this world provides a promise. Listen. This age is going to lie to you. Going to tell you things, promise you things, to entice you into its mold. When the world gets you in its mold, it can only deliver one promise. One. And the one promise the world can deliver is death. That's it. We live in a world that's out to deliver death particularly to those who follow Christ. And we need to know that if we keep laying our lives on the altar because we see the mercies of God, that God is going to help us see the goodness of his will in every circumstance of our lives and embrace it with joy, knowing that his promises will always trump the world. Always. Do not be conformed. Be transformed. There are two catalysts for transformation that Romans emphasizes. One, you choose. One, you grow from. The one you choose is the word of God. You want a catalyst for transformation in your life? then open your Bible every day because you will see the wonders of God, the mercies of God, and the amazement of Christ, and you will not be able to help throw yourself on the altar again and again and again. You want a catalyst for transformation? Saturate your life with the word of God. You want your renewed mind to be on overdrive, embracing the will of God as good, right, and pleasing? Then saturate your life with the word of God. Catalyst number two, suffering. Suffering. Nobody in here needs to look for suffering, ask for suffering, intentionally walk into suffering. Suffering will find you if you follow Jesus. Some way, shape, or form, suffering will find you. But God's goodness is He takes suffering and so redeems it that it becomes a catalyst for transformation which so revolutionizes our heart that in any circumstance, no matter how difficult it is, we find the capacity and the desire to keep throwing ourselves on the altar of Jesus Christ because there is nothing like living a life for the glory of Christ when you see his mercies poured out on you. Listen, that's the life you were created to live. To avoid being conformed by the world. To be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that you see God's will for your life as perfect. And you embrace it no matter the cost. So, 
with the catalyst you have something to do with, pour your life into. With the catalyst you have nothing to do with, trust God. Throw yourself on the altar and he will show you the perfection of his plan and you will love him for it.